Um, I don't know what it is, uh, but we, we would love to have uh, some more people sign up for that. I think it's going to be just a great night. Um, so that sign-up's in the back. If you can make it Tuesday, I think it starts at 5. Um, but it's good to be back this Sunday, uh, today, after being gone last week. I was at our Sending Church, North Hills Church, and their pastor was here speaking. And uh, so that was kind of fun to kind of be back there and uh, share uh, a story of kind of what God's done over the last year here. And uh, they were very encouraging and excited for us. And we're very excited about uh, what is happening with this new church as we continue to just build community, get to know the community uh, more and more. Um, we have some exciting things coming up, and we just feel like uh, God is behind it. So we're, we're very excited. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Lamp and Light. Are we getting feedback? Is that me? Can you hear that? We good? Okay. We're in the series called Lamp and Light right now, and it's uh, a conversation on the art of reading scripture. And we feel like uh, we just want to get back to the basics and talk about God's word, how he speaks to us, and, uh, and how he uh, transforms us into uh, his, his image uh, through his scripture. And so the first week we talked about this idea of, of as we read this scripture, chewing on it or meditation. And it was, we talked about that Greek word hagah, which liter literally means to chew on scripture. And as we read scripture, not just reading it quickly, but, but stopping and reflecting on uh, what the scripture is saying. And then week two, we talked about the idea of contextualization. Uh, the context that the scripture was written and understanding that and then understanding what that means for us today. Last week, uh, Pastor Jim talked about uh, the incarnation, living out scripture, putting flesh and blood on it. And what does it look like to actually practice what scripture teaches us? And today I want to talk about this idea of discipleship. Discipleship when it comes to reading scripture. Uh, discipleship when it comes to following Jesus. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. And uh, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, this is the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. Um, uh, there, there comes this passage, and these are the last words Jesus has for his disciples. And it says in chapter 18, we'll start in verse 16, after Jesus rises from the dead, it says, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to the disciples and said this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. So imagine that phrase if you're hearing Jesus speak. And he's about to say something, and he starts with, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the next words out of Jesus' mouth are probably going to be extremely important. And this is what Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call this passage the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It guides kind of who we are as a church. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and here's what I'm telling you to do. Go and make disciples. First and foremost, go and make disciples. We talk about kind of the vision and mission of us as a church as we kind of re, uh, refine that and form that as a new church. The vision for any church is simply this. Make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. 
who make disciples of Jesus. This word discipleship um, is a big word. Discipleship uh, can, can be defined, see on the screen, discipleship is, is following Jesus and being transformed, being formed into the image of Jesus. Following Jesus, being formed into the image of Jesus. And so Jesus is, uh, if you understand the history of, of the time that he's living in, he's this Jewish rabbi, he's this teacher, and he has these people who um, he's very close to, they're his students that are called disciples. And, and the disciples of a Jewish rabbi would, would, would want to know everything that they can about this Jewish rabbi's belief system, the way he orders his life, how he lives. And so they would follow him closely, and there would be this tight-knit relationship between the disciples and the rabbi. There's this, this close relationship they have where they're learning more and more about the rabbi, becoming more like him. There's a, an education and a mentoring and a teaching that takes place. And when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following Jesus, it's the same thing. There's this relationship between us and Christ. And we learn more and more about who he is and what he calls us to be. Discipleship is following Jesus and being formed into his image. Discipleship's a big deal when it, in, in the New Testament. What we find is that it occurs in the New Testament. The term disciple occurs 269 times. The term Christian uh, only occurs three times in the New Testament. And uh, that's simply an observation of the, the amount of teaching in Scripture about being a disciple of Jesus. It's about relationship with him. It's about communion with him. Being a disciple is... Uh, a very big deal to the writers of the New Testament. We want to know this Jesus more and more and become more like him, occurring 269 times. When we read scripture, uh, it reveals to us God's heart. And so a big part of discipleship is staying in the word so that God would reveal more and more and teach us more and more so that we could become like him. Discipleship uh, being transformed or formed into the image of Christ uh, is what we're trying to do as a church, as the body of Christ, as we grow. We want to become more like God. But there's two kind of competing stories uh, that we live in. And if you look at the best discipleship model in the world, I would argue that the best discipleship model in the, uh, the world is probably our culture. We're constantly being formed into the image of our culture. What culture uh, says uh, we should be. We're bombarded every single day with different messages about how we should look and act and live. And there's always this, uh, uh, this kind of a tension point where we're not okay with who we are and who God created us to be, and we feel like we have to be something else because culture says that to us. So we're constantly bombarded and being formed into the image of our culture. And I think that's a, a pretty big problem. The problem we are being discipled by our culture is a problem because when, when we allow the culture to disciple us, to form us into who we want to be as human beings, what we find is that the culture that we live in moves us from faith to doubt. It moves us from being people who are hopeful and believing to doubt. And what we find is that uh, we become... Uh, uh, cynical towards how the world works as we become doubters. 
And cynicism uh, is almost something that's valued in our culture. When we don't necessarily know, like, what is truth? Or how does the world really work? We're moved from faith to doubt. We live in a world um, that's constantly uh, calling us to doubt and to question uh, what God invites us into. This culture also moves us from love to insecurity. Culture moves us from faith to doubt, but it also moves us from love uh, to insecurity. And we think about um, uh, even as a, as a child watching my kids grow up in uh, in our family, where Marcy and I try to provide uh, a, a safe and loving environment for them. But as they leave and go to school, um, they learn all sorts of different things that they come home with. And I'm like, where did you hear that word? And what, what, why would you? And, 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 and the safety of home as they leave uh, and go out into the world, uh, they have bad things happen to them. They have people say terrible things about them and they get hurt. And what we find is even at a young age with our children in elementary school, uh, insecurities start to creep in. Our culture disciples us into, uh, from a, a place of love and acceptance into insecurity. And that's a dangerous thing for us, especially as adults, because uh, as we think about how image conscious our world is, um, we become very insecure in our own skin about who God has created us uh, to be. And so what happens is oftentimes we're, we're trying to live up to this image that the world wants us to live up to, uh, the whole time being insecure about who God's created us. This culture also, it moves us not only from love to insecurity, but from community to individualism. It moves us from community to individualism. And individualism isn't necessarily a bad thing, but there are a lot of unintended consequences uh, that come from individualism. And in our culture, uh, we're a very individualistic society, there's, uh, which, which comes partly from our freedom, which is great, uh, but there's a danger when we move outside of what's best for my family and my friends, and it comes all about what's best for me, what's in it uh, for myself. As we kind of pursue individualism at the cost of community, what we do is we wound other people, and we ourselves are wounded as we move uh, from community to individualism. There's all sorts of unintended consequences um, that our culture tells us as we pursue uh, our own agenda. And then culture also moves us from contributing to consuming. We're a very consumeristic culture. And we're moved from this idea of uh, helping others to what's in it for me. And so what we find is that oftentimes we won't go anywhere or spend our time doing anything without asking the question, well, what is in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? I think one of the great things that happens even like in an event uh, when we go and do like a, a walk for the homeless is that you're not really getting anything out of it, but you're showing up and contributing to help the common good in our city. Uh, uh, and culture, culture tells us to live opposite of that. Culture tells us to live in a way that we're in it uh, simply for what we can get out of it. And then culture also uh, moves us from a place of rest to exhaustion. How many of you are tired this morning? I'm wiped out. We are so, so busy and we're moving so, so quickly um, that we're constantly spread thin and worn out. 
and we live in this fast-paced culture. And once again, there's nothing necessarily evil about being busy, but there's unintended consequences uh, where we keep moving and we don't slow down and we don't stop. And what we find is that we're moved to exhaustion, constantly busy and worried and moving. And so even uh, maybe without intending to do so, the culture, the world that we live in uh, moves us to these different places um, that I find um, are, are, are places what make my soul vulnerable and weary. And when you think about uh, doubt and insecurity and individualism and consuming and exhaustion, um, if a church is defined by those kinds of things, if a church is defined by doubt, insecurity, individualism, consuming, and exhaustion, it's probably not going to be a very healthy community of people. And if your family is defined by doubt and insecurity and individualism and consuming and exhaustion, you probably aren't going to have a very healthy family dynamic. And then if you yourself uh, struggle with doubt and insecurity and individualism and consuming and exhaustion, you're probably not going to be a very healthy individual. And in my life, I find that um, so often the world that I live in is kind of pushing me and forming me into these things, these unintended consequences of our culture uh, that just drain me. And I find myself very weary and my, my soul, it's almost like it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's completely um, worn out and spread too thin. It's not healthy. In Scripture, as we talk about this idea of discipleship, and as we talk about Scripture being this lamp into our feet and this light for our path that we've talked about for the last month, um, what Scripture does is it offers us uh, and it invites us into counterformation of what the world forms us into. So we, we spend time in Scripture because God is calling us to a life of wholeness and, and uh, health, and there's something bigger going on than just uh, the present. In Scripture, we're invited into this counterformation of the way of the world. And so we, we live uh, our lives uh, prioritizing around God's Word, because in God's Word, we're moved uh, not from these places of health uh, to uh, dysfunction, but in Scripture we move from dysfunction uh, into health. There's this counter-narrative of the way that the world tells us to live and the way that God tells us to live. And so what we find uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we've read this verse a number of times over the last uh, month, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We're spending uh, an entire month on reading the scripture because we believe that it's God's word and he speaks to us, and there's this counterformation that takes place uh, that makes us complete and equipped for every good work. And what we find in the scripture is that it moves us from doubt to faith. It moves us from being cynical and skeptical about the ways that the world works. And we meet the God of the universe, and what we find is that he's good in scripture. And it moves us from a place of doubt to a place of faith. 
Uh, we would call this maybe conversion, um, where you come to this moment where all of a sudden your, your eyes are opened up to the ways of God in this world. We're moved from insecurity uh, to love. We just sang uh, this song about how God is a good, good father. It's who, who God is, is he's this, this good father. Um, and who we are is that we're loved by him. I love that song when I think about this idea of, uh, of, of resting in the love of God, that he's a good father. Um, as a young dad with three little kids um, who are um, a handful in, in, in fun, but also um, a handful, um, trying to be a good dad and navigate what is it uh, that is going to make me a good dad? Is it, is it wisdom? Is it consistency? Is it being present? And what I find is that I'm, I'm probably not a good dad. And, and at some point I tell Marcy this, our kids are going to be in counseling because of me. I'm either going to be overbearing and overparenting and they'll be in counseling, or I'm going to be absent and not in their lives enough and they'll be in counseling. But they're going to be in counseling because of me. That's the way it works. Like, it's always the dad, right? And, uh, and so I'm trying to be a good dad. And I was thinking about, like, I had a, a great dad. Um, and, uh, but the, the, the perfect dad... Um, is God. He's this, this good father that loves us. And there's this, uh, this place where I, I feel like I can rest. And for how good my dad was uh, in my life, um, you know, he, he had his own shortcomings and blind spots. We all do. But to know that God loves me no matter what. And when I think about raising my kids and knowing my own shortcomings and the ways that I mess up, um, to teach them about their heavenly father, uh, who won't let them down, a God that will be consistent um, and a consistent presence in their lives. Uh, there was a, a, a kind of a shift in my life when I thought about parenting. Not only do I want to be a good dad for my children, but I want to teach them about the Heavenly Father, who is a good father, and that is found in Scripture, moving them from insecurity to love. Scripture moves us from individualism back into community, and we call that the church, the body of Christ, people who have gathered. And so in this community, what we find is life. Um, it, it can be life-giving for us. When someone has a baby, we show up and we bring them food. We carry each other's burdens. Uh, we enjoy uh, spending time together and hanging out and partying and, and, and sharing life. There's uh, community that happens. Uh, and we find that this community in Scripture that started to gather and move away from consumer, uh, move away from individualism into community, uh, was a community that changed the world. They were transformative in a world of oppression. And scripture leads us into uh, this idea of healthy community where we share life together and we carry each other's burdens. One of the things that I love about a new church um, is that we're a part of building something that will be a community where people can gather and share life far beyond just our own story. Um, to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that will outlive us, uh, is very exciting to me. And we find in Scripture we move our move from consuming into community, or in, from consuming into contributing. And this is this idea where we have a mission as followers of Jesus. We're given a mission that our lives um, have a calling and each one of us has been gifted and called to serve others. And that happens through the context of community, but it happens as we 
uh, are equipped for every good work that we find in Scripture. Each and every one of us are called to contribute to what God is doing in this world, using our gifts uh, for the common good. Um, we, we as a church, although we're small, um, I had uh, someone mentioned to me today, it's, it's great to see uh, just the impact of a small church like this as we get involved in the community. There's been all sorts of participation. And I think that it comes from this idea that, yeah, we, we, wanna, uh, we want to make this world a better place. We want to participate in the renewing and reconciling work of God uh, here and now. And as we gather in community and as we have this narrative of the scripture, uh, our lives have so much more meaning. There's so much, something so much more significant happening um, as we join God in this mission. We're called into mission. And then finally, uh, we're called out of exhaustion into rest. In scripture, we find this idea of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, a day of rest. Um, early on in the story, uh, in the creation, we find that God has put a rhythm into the world of work and rest. And even God takes a Sabbath. He rests on the seventh day of creation. And as we're being discipled into the image of God, into the image of Christ, what we find is that we're in tune with this rhythm uh, where we take one day and we set it aside to allow God to refuel us and we find rest. And I think in a culture of busyness and in a culture that's moving as quickly uh, as our culture is, uh, to be followers of Jesus who say, we're going to take one day and, and just not do anything. Just allow ourselves to be present to God and present to people um, and allow him to fill us up. I think that's a very countercultural way to live right now, to stop, to relax, to Sabbath, to take a break. And when we do that, uh, we, we have rest, faith, love, community, contributing, and rest are things that a healthy church does, things that healthy families do. And in Scripture, uh, as we go to Scripture, and especially this, over this, this month going into the next month, prioritize around spending time in Scripture, we find this counterformation where God is calling us to become more like Him, and through that, we're finding uh, a way of life uh, that we're in touch with something that is eternal. Um, there's a quote um, by this... Uh, uh, a Dutch theologian uh, back in the 1800s uh, in the, the midst of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, you can throw this quote up. When it talks about this world that we live in, and this was you know, over 100 years ago, he says, the more abundant the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our lives become. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. And we talk about this idea of being formed into the image of God and this other story of being formed into the image of our culture. What we find is that when culture uh, shapes us, uh, we will always be left empty. True uh, life comes uh, when we allow God uh, to be the source of our life. So we're shaped into his image. So as we spend time reading scripture, uh, 
The hope is to allow God to form us into his image. And there's this old command that was given to God's people in Deuteronomy. There was this old command uh, of these people who understood that the sacred text that they had, that God, God had uh, basically given it to them as a guide, as a lamp to their feet and a light for their path. Uh, they would say this in Deuteronomy. It says, an old command for God's people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be uh, up your hearts. Go to the next slide. Or to be up your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your, on your gates. This idea of God's word uh, uh, being a priority in our lives. Something that we, uh, we place where we can see it. Um, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Um, God's word being something that we teach to those uh, who come after us, our children other people. Um, these commands that God has given us uh, that offer us counter formation of what, the way that the world teaches us to live. Uh, so as we close today, and uh, we close uh, thinking about what God does for us in scripture, let us know that he offers us formation into his image. When we become available and we open up his word, to receive. We close each week with this idea of communion. And communion is uh, uh, part of us, what we do is, as disciples of Jesus. Uh, we're called to do this in remembrance of what God has done through his son Jesus. Uh, communion represents the body of Christ that was broken open for us and the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. Um, through the sacrifice, this breaking of his body and this pouring of his blood, um, we find that through that sacrifice, there is healing, uh, healing for the world, for humanity. And we come to this moment where we uh, uh, are moved from doubt to faith, and we accept what God has done for us, and in, in that we find life. We do it in remembrance of him. Uh, I was hiking uh, last week on Camelback Mountain, and as I uh, got to the top of Camelback Mountain, it was really hot. Uh, there was this older gentleman that was on top of the mountain. And uh, he, he pulled out his camera and he said, would you take a picture of me? And I was like, sure, that, that happens quite a bit up on top of Camelback Mountain. And he said, uh, hold on, I, I'm gonna, I, I want you to take a picture of me um, taking a shot of tequila. And I was like, okay, awesome. And he pulled out this little bottle of Patron and he said, hold on, and he, and he goes over and, he, and, he, and he, he put it up in the air like he was drinking it. And he said, okay, take a picture of me now. And, uh, and I did that, and then he said, you want someone? And I said, oh, I, I can't have that right now. That's gonna just tear through my stomach. And he said, oh, it tears my stomach up too. And I was like, well, then why do you do that? And he said, uh, he said well, he said, my, my girlfriend uh, passed away back in June. And I had just moved across country from North Dakota to be with her. And, we had this whole future of our lives together and rearranged my entire life because of who she is and how much I love her. And then, uh, and then she just passed away uh, back in June. And so since then, every week I've come up here. And uh, once a week, I, um, we used to love to go out after work and we'd get margaritas and we'd always have Patron. And, 
uh, tequila. And, and so I come up here, and when I do this, I, I do this, and I remember, uh, I do this in, in memory of her. And uh, I sat there listening to that story and thinking, like, wow, there, there's something actually really kind of sacred about what this guy's doing in this shot of tequila. And, and, uh, and he said, that, that burning feeling I get in my stomach uh, reminds me of her, and, I, and I'm reminded of just this beautiful soul that has, like, changed my life, and I've moved across country for, for her. So I, I do this, and it, and it reminds me. And this whole time I'm sitting, you know, talking to this guy, and, you know, every other word was bad. I mean, it was, like, total pagan dude. But, like, like this, he's preaching something uh, very sacred. And when I think about when we move to communion, um, this is part of discipleship. Someone has done something for us. That person is Jesus, and it's changed our lives. It's moved us out of the proverbial North Dakota of the soul, right? Like this guy, and, and we've come to this land um, that's beautiful. And when we do that, we are reminded of the change that Jesus did for us. And that's discipleship, is that not only do we do that in remembrance of what God does, but we share it with other people because it's a good story. And it's a story um, that is giving us life that is eternal. And so as we take communion today, we do this in remembrance of God, but we also do this as part of our discipleship, becoming more like who Jesus is in this world as the church, and then telling others about him as well. It's a good story that we share. So as we move to, decide, move to communion today, let us be reminded of that story that we are being discipled into, one of sacrifice and of love and of transformation. I'm going to pray, and then Richard will close us. And um, if you would like to, uh, uh, to move to communion, we, uh, we practice open communion here. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, we invite you to, to take communion. Um, I'll be in the back for a few if you'd like to pray. And, uh, and then I'll come up and close our time. Uh, but communion is off to the side here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, we thank you for your word, the scriptures. Lord, it's, a, it's a, a book that we so often take for granted. And it's a book that is uh, so available to us and sometimes so familiar to us. And other times it's something that is uh, hard to get into and confusing to understand. Lord, but let us be reminded today that in your word, in scripture, you were speaking to us and you were forming us to be a certain kind of people who reflect your image. And this idea of discipleship, Lord, is following you, being in relationship with you, becoming more like you. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to form us into your will. And all the different ways that the culture um, offers us life that leaves us empty. Uh, may we find uh, true life in you. And as we come to communion today, Lord, and we take this sacred act of remembrance, uh, let us feel what you've done. And let us be excited to share it. We love you so much. In your son's name we pray. Amen.